Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this amazing opportunity to be able to be used by you to for other people to get to know you better. God, I pray that um, that you come down and you do a mighty work this morning and that you use me, someone who is not worthy to, to even come near to you, but you have called me to do the ultimate thing and to, to do your work um, for the nations. God, uh, I pray that you be with us this morning, give me the words to say, help me remember everything that I've studied. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, as I was preparing this message, I listened to a John Piper sermon, and he told the story of when he was a kid, he had this crippling fear of public speaking. He would, in, cl- in his classes in school, he would count the rows, and when it was about his time to read, he would go to the bathroom and he would go hide for 10 or 15 minutes. And in high school, when he had class uh, projects that he had to do a presentation, he would take bad grades on those projects so he wouldn't have to do the presentation. And then when he got to college, he was like, I'm gonna flip, he realized he had to take a speech class. And he's like, I'm gonna put that off till the end and then maybe just drop out of college. <laughs> but he was taking summer classes one summer and the chapel of his college was like, will you pray in chapel? And he realized something was happening when he said, how long does the prayer have to be? (laughs) And so the chapel said like 30 seconds. And John Piper said that he practiced and practiced and practiced this prayer until he knew it word for word. But in order for him to have the strength to get up there, he had to promise God that if for him to get through this prayer, that he would never turn down a speaking engagement out of fear again and you see how that happens. So if John Piper can get through that kind of crippling anxiety, I think I can get through this morning. (laughs) So I'm going to reread the scripture just to help me regain focus. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how that we know we love God's children, when we love and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Um, we've been in First John for a while now, and if you haven't realized, it's not a typical letter of the New Testament. It's structured completely different. Most letters go from thought to thought to thought to thought. Well, First John kind of goes from thought to thought to thought, and then back through those thoughts over and over and over again. And he does th- he wrote it this way because he really wanted to drive home these points. It was written to combat a bunch of different theological issues, mainly being to know who God is and to, uh, to uh, recognize false teaching and to either destroy it, ignore it, get rid of it, anything you can do to get rid of it to not be infiltrated by it. So if it feels like for the last several weeks all these sermons are basically the same thing, they pretty much have been. (laughs) (laughs) There are, okay, so if you've looked at your uh, 
handout this morning, you see the points are know, abide, and conquer. And that's what I titled the sermon because as I was reading through these verses, those were just the three big ideas that were popping into my head. So that's what I went with. And uh, for to know God, there's two really two big ideas of this point. Um, to know God and to know that you know God. And uh, so to do that, we first have to ask, who is God? When I think of who God is, the first thing that comes to my mind is creator. In Genesis 1-1, he could have, uh, Moses could have made a big deal about proving God exists, but he doesn't. He just assumes it. So just like Moses, just like Paul, we know God exists, so now we just have to reali- figure out who God is. Um, Genesis 1-1, like I said, Genesis 1-1, it just starts out, in the beginning, God. It doesn't try to prove him. It just says he's there, and you know it. And he creates. It doesn't worry about anything else. It's just God creates. And it goes into what he does and his character. God creates, and it, he is good. His creation is good. And John here is calling us to know this good creator God, to know God intimately. And uh, Matthew 18, 12, and 13 says, what do, th- what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, I assure you, he rejoices over the sheep more than the 99 who never went astray. Many people have a problem with the song Reckless Love, but uh, I don't. I think it's a beautiful song. It's just uh, talking about the love of God from our perspective, not necessarily God's, because we know God isn't reckless. We know that he has everything planned out, but from our perspective, when we're the lost sheep, when we're the one that has left the group, and God does whatever he can to find us, it might look reckless to everyone else, but we hope he kept, we ultimately hope he keeps coming and coming and coming. So it can be a slippery slope to attribute something like the word reckless to God when he's not, but um, God loved us before we even were. He loved us before creation. He is incredibly kind. His love is overwhelming and never-ending. We can't earn his love, and we don't deserve his love, but he still pours it out on us. So still Christ died for you and me, even though we were running and running and running away from him. We wanted nothing to do with him. God still willingly paid that price for us. Just as Jose, when Gomer ran away, he went and he paid for her to get her back. So even though he didn't have to, even though she was already his, he shouldn't have had to pay anything. He willingly gave whatever it took to get her back. Just That's just like Christ in us. No matter what we do wrong, no matter what, no matter what happens that makes us fall away from God, God still continually chases after us. He looks in every shadow and up every mountain we run to. He tears down all the walls we hide behind, all the lies we tell ourselves that make us feel unworthy, that we're not good enough, that we're not worth anything, that we're, that we're garbage. But God says we are royalty. We are heir, co-heirs with Christ. This is who God is. 
and we make of all these excuses, I don't have time for God, I don't, I'm too busy, um, I'm too tired, I just forgot. God died for our freedom, and we forget about God. And this is who God is, and because this is who God is, we love God, we love Christ, and we love His children. Verse 1 again said, or, yeah, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. So we love God, and to know that we know we love God, we love His children. John thirteen thirty five says, By this all people will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. This is one of the points John is writing First John for as well. Um, and this now includes us, Christians, Gentiles, who weren't originally part of God's people, but are now. It's, it's how other Christians can tell who we are, and it's how the world can tell us apart from the world itself. We know that when we know that we know God when we keep his commandments and his commandment is to love one another. Love for God and love for his people. John Piper said, this is how you know you love God. If your deepest longing is to love people towards God. Now, when we know that we know God or when we know we know God and when we know we know God then we abide in Christ. Abide is one of these words that gets thrown around in church a lot, but it's never really explained. I've had a misunderstanding of what abiding in Christ means for pretty much my entire life until very recently. Um, I've always thought it was this idea of just being under God's protection, but it's more like the idea of being attached at the hip with Christ. Just like when Paul says to live is Christ, to live is Christ is abiding in Christ. Your actions are the same actions Christ would make. Another way of putting it is to be yoked with Christ. And when two things are yoked together, they have to be perfectly in sync, otherwise they're going to crash. So if one gets ahead of the other, bad things are going to happen. Abiding in Christ is doing Christ's work, like I said. To be able to do Christ's work, We have to be reading our Bibles. We have to know God. Because if we don't know God, we're not going to know what we're supposed to do for God. We have to be praying because that's how we we talk to God and that's oftentimes how we hear back from God. Because that's, we, we read and we pray because that's how we understand how Christ thinks. This leads us to having an abundance of Christ that overflows from us that pours out of us. We naturally follow God's commands because we are in sync with Christ. In verse 3, John wrote that Christ's commands are not burdensome. When we think commands, most of the time we're probably going to think of the Ten Commandments and what the Old Testament law was. And the law was written to show us that we can't do it, so why does John and in other places in the New Testament say that Jesus is... uh, the work of Jesus is easy, that the yoke is light. We have to have help. So, well, since this is the case, 
why does it say that it's easy? Matthew 11.30 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden and light is burden is light. And it can say that because Christ's commands are joy-giving, not burden-loading. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Christ has called us to constantly be loving other people, to be constantly pouring out of Christ to other people, giving of ourselves. And because of that, it's because of the, the idea that it's more blessed to give than receive, we're constantly refilling ourselves. The hundred plus New Testament commands can be sum, summed up in Romans 13, 9 and 10. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment are all summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Obviously, we can't do this on our own. That's why Christ had to come. And that, that is also why we have to abide in Christ. We have to know God. We have to abide in Christ. We have to have so much of him that it's impossible to contain it all. And when we know God and we abide in Christ, then we get to conquer the world. And when you think of a conqueror, you're probably going to think of maybe Alexander the Great, uh, maybe one of the many Chinese dynasties, uh, even Rome, Caesar, the guy that was in charge during the time of the New Testament. They conquered most of the world, possibly even um, the British. They had about three-fourths of the world under their control at one point. But this is not how we conquer. We don't go in. We don't cause bloodshed. We go in. We are meek, and we love one another. We will, we will conquer with faith and meekness. What looked like a loss was actually the greatest victory ever seen. Christ died on the cross. From any other perspective, it looks like we lost. But that's not what happened. Christ died for the victory. He could have fought back physically. I mean, Peter chopped off a guy's ear to try to protect Christ, and Christ healed the guy's ear back. He, um, he was meek. He understood that the fight was more, he understood that the fight was more than about this life. It was about eternal life. So, when you know God, you abide in Christ, you get to conquer the world through your faith. And this conquering, this victory, John MacArthur says, this victory is demonstrable. It involves overthrowing an enemy so that it is seen by all. Everyone's going to know that we won through our faith. All right. And to close, I have a couple stories about a man who knew God, who abided in Christ, and was a great conqueror for the world of the world for Christ. Um, Joseph Son, spelled J-O-S-E-F-C-S-O-N, was a Romanian missionary from the mid to late 20th century uh, during the communist reign in Romania. And he refused to be, silenced about, to be silent about Christ. He had faith and he conquered. I rem uh, so the, f in the f 
first story that I'm going to tell happened second, but I think it flows better this way. So I remember one Monday when two officers were interrogating me. About midday, a general came into the room. He signaled it for it with his hand for them to leave, and he began to curse me and hit me, slapping my face and hitting my head with his fist. Finally, knocking my head against the wall. I screamed intentionally. I shouted so that the other de detainees in nearby rooms would hear me. What the general was doing was clearly illegal. That, of course, was why he had ordered the two officers out of the room. He wanted no witnesses at my trial. He kept at it for a while and then left without a word. The two officers came back in, resumed the interrogation as if nothing had happened. On Thursday afternoon, the general returned again, motioned with his hand for the two to leave. I braced myself for a second round of beating, but the man sat down behind the desk and said, Don't worry, this time I'm calm. I have come to talk to you. Now the Lord has promised when his people are questioned, the Holy Spirit within them will do all the talking. I can testify to this truth. I myself was surprised as I said, Mr. General, because you've come to talk to me, I want to first off apologize for what happened Monday. Think about that. The guy who was beaten apologized to his beaters. He was very surprised. Let me explain what I mean by this, I said. On Tuesday, I was kept here the whole day without being interrogated. I had plenty of time to think. All of a sudden, it dawned on me that this is Holy Week. And sir, for a Christian, nothing is more beautiful than to suffer during the time his Savior and Lord suffered. When you beat me, you did me a great honor. I am sorry for shouting at you. I should have thanked you for the most beautiful gift you have ever given me. Since Tuesday, I have been praying for you and your family. I saw the man choking. He tried to swallow, then somehow he said, Well, I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. Let's talk. We talked many days after that. Eventually he said, Would you put all of this on paper, for all that you have said on paper for me? I want the president of the country to read it. From this I learned that no one, not even the communists, is beyond the reach of Calvary love. These are savable people like anyone else. They desperately need to see Christ in them. And then the second story. During an early interrogation, I had told an officer who was threatening to kill me, Sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, these sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching, and everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I'd better listen again to what this man preached, because he really meant it and sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. After I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a facet friend of mine told him, We know that Mr. Son would love to be a martyr, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remembered how for many years I had been afraid of dying. I would kept a low profile because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity, but now that I placed my life on the altar and decided that I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in this country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, I found it. As you can tell, Joseph Son loved God and he loved people. He conquered his fears, he conquered his circumstances, he had faith, 
knew God and he abided in Christ. And my prayer is that we are bold enough and that we are so full of Christ that no matter what suffering, no matter what our circumstances are, we stay focused on him. Let's pray. God, you are beautiful and your love is worth dying for. Your love is worth dying so other people will know who you are. God, help us know you better. Come after us so hard that we have never stopped abiding in you. And God, we know that through you, we will conquer the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.